This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Current Fez podcast with Will and Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Will. This is our weekly discussion podcast where we will not be bringing to you high-end discussion of the biggest news story of the weekend, a couple more wacky wild-side-of-life kind of stories. But again, we are continuing with our series of interviewing members of parliament. And this week, we are delighted to be joined by Edward Timpson, MP. Can you tell us a bit about Edward Timpson, Ben? Yes. Ben's connection's a bit dodgy. I will tell you about Edward Timpson. So um, Edward Timpson is was the Minister for Children and Families. Um, he lost his seat in the 2017 election by 48 votes, an absolute hair's breadth from victory, uh, but won it back convincingly, or won a different seat back convincingly in 2019. Oh, we have Ben back. So Ben, I was just telling our viewers, our listeners about um, this week's guest. But yeah, so what, what's in store for us today, Ben? Oh, firstly, apologies for Zoom. Zoom, Zoom interviewing is, 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 it has the technical challenges of season one current affairs podcast in which I delivered half of it from Hong Kong and you delivered it from the north of England. I did. Um, but we're back. It's fine. Zoom's working again. Uh, no, very interesting interview. We heard a bit about his time at Hatfield. Um, uh, oh, we've lost him again. Uh, but anyway, his time, yeah, he, he told us about his time in Durham. Anyway, listen to the show yourself. So, yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is the interview segment of the podcast, and I am delighted to be joined by Edward Timpson, MP. Edward, how are you today? All right, good. Yeah, I'm all right. I got up at 6.30, managed to go for a run, and play a bit of football before going to work. So I'm feeling pretty virtuous. Very good. Very yeah. Well, it's, it's probably a good way to start what might be quite a busy day. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so we kick off with the questions. Ben, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, so as was, we're delighted to have uh, Durham alumnus on the show, um, and we were just we'd be really interested to hear, and I think our listeners would be really interested about your time at Durham. Did you have any fond memories, particularly at your college at Hatfields? Um, would you like to share any of that with us? Yeah, well, gosh, I'm afraid I've got to go all the way back to 93 when I, I trotted through the gates of Hatfield College uh, through to 96. So you, I think you're Hilden Beag guys, aren't you? Yeah. We are, yes. yes. Yeah, so we, we know the rivalry, which I'm sure is still very healthy and alive and well. Yes, um, but, yeah, yeah, but I, I, was, I was quite lucky because my elder brother James was a couple of years above me at, at Durham, same same college at Hatfield so I've been up a few times to sample the you know the the local produce um, and uh, refreshments mm. including college bar so uh, I had a, a little bit of an idea of what I was letting myself in for but uh, apart from that I had one or two people uh, from school um, who also made it to to Durham the same time as me but it was a part of the world I didn't really know um, over and above that and I absolutely loved it it was such a special time and and I was really fortunate that uh, I chose a degree politics funnily enough <laughs> which interested me excited me I think there was enough uh, range and depth in the faculty for me to get involved in parts of 
sort of political study, which I didn't anticipate when I first came. So I did a lot on American, Russian, which is uh, very topical at the moment, Middle Eastern. So, so my, my degree sort of ticked along nicely in the background, but like uh, a lot of people at university, it's more sort of life affirming parts of it that you remember most, the relationships that you, that you make, the friendships, the um, sometimes quite outrageous things that you find yourself involved with. Uh, and uh, I, I was at the sort of sporty uh, end of sort of extracurricular activity. So I was uh, playing a lot of college sport. I uh, was very lucky to play one match for the University of uh, Golf against St Andrews away uh, on the new course, not quite the old course. but uh, And like you should do at university, spent quite a lot of time uh, trying to make up strange and weird societies which then enabled us to meet regularly and have banquets and <laughs> uh and drink drinking sessions and, and all the rest of it but um i i loved durham uh i love the people we I used to go down the coal pits a lot sunday nights we had the coal pits olympics against it was the uh, town versus gown really good natured uh and actually i was back in durham uh earlier last spring i think it was when i was uh, helping on the Hartlepool by-election and I was trying to find somewhere to stay I thought you know what it's got to be Durham so uh, I found a, found an Airbnb I couldn't find it on East Afton Street where I used to live for my second and third year but uh, I did spend um, uh, a bit of time down uh, down in that part of town and uh, it's changed a little bit it's uh, I think there's a lot more going on a bit more vibrant than, than my day but it's still a, such a beautiful setting uh, and a place that um, every time I go back to it just conjures up those uh, just, just, as I say, life-affirming memories when I was there. Very nice, yeah. I mean, we're, we're sort of experiencing roughly the, the uh, same things at the moment. I mean, are you familiar, are you familiar with Clute at all? Um, yeah, that used to be Thursday nights. Uh, yeah. Monday was the boat um, over in Newcastle, which I sadly I don't think is there anymore. Uh, Tuesday, I think, was student night somewhere else. Um, I used to do a bit of, bit of acting and... Um, I remember at the the interval one time I was I for some reason I had to pretend to hang myself on stage just before the beginning <laughs> of the first act in the interval, uh, which uh, were wearing a harness and, and you know um, all done in a very health and safety way I'm sure in those days. Uh, but then at the interval we all then trooped off to I think it was St John's Bar, um, and I remember my dad was in the audience he came came with us and uh, there's a bit of a scrum at the bar. I still had sort of the bits of the noose that I'd had on just before the uh, the interval. And uh, I said, what do you want to drink? Uh, I said, well, you choose. And of course, it, um, I got them a blast away. Don't know if those things still exist. No, but I don't uh, know. pretty potent stuff. And so it was, all a bit, it was all a bit bizarre because then people then saw me having been in the bar, having a blast away about 10 minutes later. I was back on stage in the second half, uh, still still hanging from, a, <laughs> from the rafters. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, only, only at university can those sorts of uh, experiences happen. I think. Yeah. And what what were your sort of um, motivations to getting into politics? Uh, was that something you found at university, or was that elsewhere? Well, you, you go through your memory bank and try and think. Well, what what were the first early sort of memories of of the world of politics? And I, I think for me, I go back to 1983 so I would have been about nine and on Blue Peter of all programs they were doing a, a section on 
they ju we just had the general election of 83, Thatcher had got re-elected and uh, Michael Foote had, had flunked and they were looking to, Labour were looking to choose their next leader. And uh, I remember they had photos, big, that big stage that they had at, in the Blue Peter studio of um, all the mugshots of all the candidates for the, for the uh, Labour leadership, uh, people like Dennis Healy and Eric Heffer and Tony Benn. And I remember watching it, just being fascinated. And, you know, how, how do they choose who's the right person and what makes one better than the other? And how do they actually go about starting to build a sort of a, a base of support? And I think that was my early sort of incursion into, in, into politics. And I remember um, in my sort of slightly geeky way in my early teens, I, I made, you know, top Trump cards. Mm, and yeah. I made a political version. I actually bought a pack of cards and used Tipex and got bits of um, newspaper where there were uh, photos of various politicians. And then I rated them. So they had like their, what their majority was, what their speech rating was. Uh, and I made a pack of cards, which I've still got uh, hanging around. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, um, the, the, the patent on that one. But uh, so it just sort of kept cropping up. Uh, in my in my life as an interest that I gravitated towards and of course I read politics at Durham and just before then it had been the 92 election when uh, John Major against the odds uh, was uh, elect re-elected well not re-elected he continued as prime minister and I, I helped a little bit locally at my uh, Edisbury association where I'm now the, the member of parliament for uh, so, so I sort of got sucked in but I, it was always more of an interest rather than something I thought was always going to be my destiny career-wise. And that sort of came later on. Okay. Sorry, you're you're far away, Ben, far away. Brilliant. Um, so obviously then you, after graduating from Durham, you then did a law conversion and, and spent uh, quite a significant amount of time as a barrister. How did that transition itself then into you becoming an MP? Was there sort of a pivotal moment at which you thought, I want to... Um, run for government was what 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 helped you make make that move well i think there are, there are a couple of things at play one was uh and again this is quite a a, a sort of a sort of a moment where i realized perhaps this is an area that i wanted to explore and a bit more a bit more vigor and it, that was the 2005 election which was when tony blair won for his third election in a row i remember i was out in istanbul with a a, a mate of mine that i'd met at bar school and uh we'd just gone for a, a, a weekend oh well it must have been it must have been a must have been a thursday night into a friday morning because that's when elections take place uh in the uk and i remember getting back to the hotel after a, a, a pretty large night out in in istanbul and thinking right this will make my evening now if i switch on um the news channel and um see that finally with the, the blair government has sort of fought, fallen apart of course it didn't happen uh, and it was significant for me then because by 2005, uh, I was married, I had a child, another one on the way. And, and suddenly the decisions the government are making around uh, tax, uh, around in those days, I think um, there was a, a more involvement in, um, although the Bank of England had become independent, there was still concerned about sort of interest rates. And, uh, and some of those big decisions government were making were having a more direct effect on me and all the responsibilities I had as a husband and a father. And so that started to make me think maybe I ought to do something about this rather than just sit back and, and let it happen to me, apart from voting at elections, of course. And then at the same time, I was by then about seven years into my time as a barrister. I was practicing on the, in those days, the uh, Wales and Chester circuit 
up in, up in um, my part of the world in, in Cheshire. And maybe it was the seven year rich, but I was starting to think, do I want to do this forever? Do I want to ply my trade uh, along the north uh, coast of, of Wales in family cases, which is what I specialised in? Because uh, my parents had fostered when I was growing up, got two adoptive brothers and um, I had a, a lot of sort of personal experience of many of the cases that I then dealt with in court. And it felt to me that by the time I'd got involved as a barrister in the court, a lot of the damage to these children had already been done. We were trying to sort of patch their lives up. And, but well, there must be a way of me having more influence uh, in these children's lives. And then that sort of brought me back around to, well, maybe politics is, is where that opportunity lies. Um, and I remember saying to my wife, and this would have been probably in about 2006, uh, when I, I, for the first time, joined the Conservative Party. I hadn't been a member before then and suggested that I might want to pursue this alternative career in, in politics, which is, is not known for its um, sort of longevity and stability if for many reasons. Uh, and I remember her saying to me, well, you know, there's lots of hurdles to get there. Uh, you know, you have to get approved as a candidate, you have to get selected as a candidate, you have to then get elected um, as, a, as a member of parliament. Um, so there's lots of hurdles to jump over. And if you fall at one, well, clearly it wasn't meant to be. So I said, okay, fine, if, if I don't get over each one, I'll I'll call it a day. But unluckily for her, um, they all seem to um, allow me to sort of Grand National style uh, go over all of them and get to the finish line. So uh, within it happened all very quickly, really. Within two years of joining the party, I found myself as a member of Parliament. Yeah, and on sort of becoming an MP, what constitutes your day to day life as a member of Parliament? What kind of issues do you get particularly involved with? Um, in your sort of day job? Well, I've now represented two different constituencies. So I was MP for Crewe and Nantwich from 2008 to 17. Uh, and then since 2019, I've been the MP for Eddersbury, which is the constituency next door um, and where I've lived since I was 14. And they're very, very different constituencies. Crewe and Nantwich is a, an old, uh, well, Crewe itself is an old railway town and had always been a Labour seat. Nantwich is more of a sort of, sort of small market town, uh, but uh, that that wasn't sizable enough for it to to make it a um, more leaning towards a conservative seat. Uh, and so the the issues there were um, more around sort of housing benefits, immigration, um, a lot of people who needed help. And um, so I had quite a, quite a sizable team within the budgets that we get um, to to try and help with that. Whereas Eddersbury. Um, it's a more uh, rural constituency, so although we still have issues around rural poverty, things like broadband connection is big, uh, COVID's made that um, even bigger, uh, biz business support and uh, things like transport connectivity as well. So they, they, they range depending on the type of seat that you, that you have. Uh, and for five years uh, during my time at, at Cronantich from 2012 to 17, I was also uh, Minister for Children and Families. So you've got to juggle that as well. So juggling that with a, a marginal seat, as Curran Nantwich was, uh, making sure that you're, you're serving your constituents. So that would be on a Friday and a Saturday, whilst I'm in London from Monday to Thursday. And you've got to find time for your family too. You know, I've got four children. My eldest has just turned 18. My youngest is five. So you know, there's, there's a lot to try and hold together. And be separated from your family for a lot of the time because mine live up in Cheshire. I'm down in London like I am now uh, for most of the week. And 
you, you, you have to make sure you have a really good team around you. I'm lucky that I've had two of my staff working for me since I began in 2008 to, the, to this extent where you can sort of delegate, you can trust that they will know um, how to make the right decisions and, and deliver things with the right tone on your behalf. Uh, but it's, it's a constant um, you know, plate spinning in the air to make sure that you're getting the balance right between your different responsibilities. And um, unfortunately, I thought coming back, it would get easier, but uh, if anything, COVID has made it even more difficult because uh, anyone and everyone has needed some sort of help or guidance. And so the work's actually just gone up rather than down. Really interesting. And, and I was just going to sort of build on what you were saying earlier, you particularly specialising in family law. Did you see that particularly um, influencing your work as Minister for Children and Families? And was there anything that you were particularly proud of, anything significant that you can look back on and say, oh, I'm really, really proud of this? And how, how did that all sort of work together? Well, Children and Families Minister was my sort of dream job uh, in government. And uh, David Cameron, uh, knew a little bit about my family. As I was saying before, I think my, my parents fostered about 90 children over 30 years. You know, clearly had a, a significant influence on me, mainly positive. Um, not always when I was very little and my toys were being played with by other children and sometimes being broken. Uh, but clearly it left an impression on me where I, I could see the good that helping others can do, particularly the most vulnerable. So for me, that was what drove me sort of from a policy perspective into into politics so then to get that chance to deliver it as minister not just for like nine months or two years the usual uh, tenure that you get as a minister I had it for five years so it meant that I could think through policy develop it then legislate for it so I took a couple of big acts through parliament uh, but then also the, the really important phase which is often missed off uh, by politicians is the implementation there's no point in having new law if it doesn't actually do what you want on the ground. Uh, so to go through each of those phases um, and sort of gain support, I was always worked on the basis of consensus, you know, try and bring people with you. Um, it's the sort of subject matter you can do that. It's much easier to do it with issues around children um, and families than it is maybe with um, you know, tax and um, uh, you know, ed education maybe. Um, so the the that opportunity meant that I was able to really push hard on the things that I cared about most and things like raising the age of children being able to stay with their foster care foster carers from 18 to 21 uh, a lot of the work we did on adoption um, putting a lot of money into primary schools for PE and sport uh, to try and improve the, the, the quality and, and quantity of that um, and the, also the, the reforms we did to special educational needs, which is a massive piece of work uh, and one that's been uh, often overlooked by successive governments. So there's lots of things that I was really delighted that we managed to get on the statute book. The frustration, and this is where politics you know, comes to bite you on the bottom, uh, is you don't know how long you're going to be there for. And so even though I was there for five years and then lost my seat by 48 votes, in 2017 and all of that gets taken away um, in a flash one minute you're the minister next minute you're back home with your family trying to find a job um, and that's probably the, the part of it that um, you know drove me back into politics again because there's a bit of unfinished business I think yeah and then you obviously won a seat in parliament again in 2019 um, which what, what, what is that Edisbury 
Um, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so that's next door to Crewe and Nantwich. It's in the sort of heart of Cheshire, uh, between Chester and, and Crewe, uh, an area I know very well. And, um, you know, it has always been a Conservative seat, although it's got close on occasion. I think in 97, it got down to about 1,000 votes. So, And there's so much more unpredictability, volatility in, in voting patterns these days. You know, we've seen it in in this sort of recent elections where it sort of ebbed and flowed. And even the election I lost um, in 2017, I, I got more votes than I've got in any election um, standing in that seat. I think it was nearly 26,000. So um, the first pass the post uh, system uh, didn't quite work in my favour then. I think I got 47% of the vote and um, the, uh, the winner got 47.1%. Um, and then you always have in the back of your mind, well, maybe I just knocked on a few more doors or maybe... <laughs> Uh, put a few more leaflets out but actually you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes and um, you just have to live with it yeah well I, th I think that was reflected in the rest of the country wasn't it Theresa May got basically the same share of the votes as, as uh, Boris Johnson did in 2019 but obviously because of because Corbyn did so well um, you know you, people don't remember that I think um, and I think that was that was probably reflected in your in your case as well um, moving on we just like to get your uh, commentary on a couple of the sort of wider political issues going on in the country at the, at the sort of present moment. So I think we'll start with the obvious ones. So could you just give us your thoughts on the situation with Russia and Ukraine and perhaps what you think about the sanctions that the government has announced in response to Mr. P uh, President Putin's uh, incursion? Well, it's, it's, it's extremely depressing. Uh, depressing it has to has to be said and um you know i i was one of those going back to those early 80s i was talking about before um our childhood was dominated by the the cold war uh the threat of of nuclear war and it was something we had hanging over us during that period and it was one that i hope we wouldn't go back to it, it just has it's just resurrected some of those feelings again and i know we have had sub subsequent wars um, including uh, Bosnia on, on, uh, the, on the, the European footprint. Uh, but this is on a different scale because we're dealing with someone um, who can engender a huge amount of uh, not just uh, war might, uh, as, we've, as we've seen on the border of Ukraine, but also uh, other influence around the world, financial. Uh, I mean, even in Africa, they have a, a, a private army going around. Uh, uh, essentially trying to influence uh, wars and, uh, and power uh, across that continent. So it's extremely worrying uh, times, uh, but we have to take this as seriously as we can, recognising that the UK, although we aren't, you know, the, 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 the strength and size um, militarily as, as we have been in the past, our influence on the world stage is still important and it's still listened to. And the sanctions that have now landed, um, and I hope that they're just the start, I think do, do demonstrate that we've, we've got other forms of arsenal that we can deploy without putting um, too many uh, boots on the ground. And I think we have to remember that although we would want this to be over before it started, there's a real risk that you go back to cr the uh, situation in Crimea in 2014, yeah. that, that that this will be a long game. And, you know, there's Belarus who is about Russia's only friend. You've then got the, um, the, Bal uh, the Baltic states, 
um, who are very nervous about about what will happen next. Uh, and Putin is becoming more and more isolated, but that is also also making him more and more determined um, in his um, now uh, rather fanciful way uh, to try and rebuild the old Russia or the Soviet Union as we, we knew it. Um, I, I, I think that the, the most important part of our response is that it's united and that there is not a cigarette paper between us, the rest of Europe, United States, and I hope the rest of the world. And the, 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 the German sanctions around the uh, new oil pipe um, is, I think, quite significant because that's something that they've been reluctant to do before. This is essentially they're not commissioning it. Um, because that's going to stymie a lot of uh, what Russia was then looking for um, financially to to hold um, uh, a, a um, hold have some hold over the uh, the, the, the West um, over the next period. Um, so it's going to be very um, volatile over the next week or two. Um, but beyond then, um, I think we just need to wait and see. Um, how far Russia are prepared to go before we um, consider our next steps, but they have to be in unison because as soon as they start to see any cracks, then he's achieved his objective. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned the sort of um, idea of staying in it for the long run. I think a, a criticism that's often made of uh, the Western response to the invasion of Crimea in 2014 is that perhaps there wasn't the extended period of attention paid to it that there perhaps should have been. Um, so it is, it's interesting that you, you raise that point. Um, I think, Ben, is there, is there anything else you want to add to that? No, no, no. Well, in that case, uh, Edward, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on the Current Affairs podcast. We are very grateful for uh, the time you've given us and the responses uh, you've given to our questions. So, yeah, thank you very much. No, great. It's been great to see you. Uh, great to have some contact back with uh, back with Durham and uh, I don't know what 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 year you're in but uh, if you've got finals 30. coming up 30, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting, getting squeaky bum time uh, <laughs> yeah. but the uh, yeah the, the, the work in but uh, I'm sure you guys will be fine yeah thank you very much <laughs> and there you have it the interview with Edward Timson thank you very much to Edward for giving us uh his time and also such um, deep and insightful answers to his questions. And thank you also to his parliamentary private secretary for uh, liaising with us and organizing this interview. This is all greatly appreciated. Uh, we appreciate that it's for a member of parliament to sit through being interviewed by us too for half an hour might be sort of a bit challenging for them, uh, but we are grateful for their time. Do, do you have anything to add, Ben? No, nothing to add this time. Okay, I really well, enjoyed in that it. Case, you did yeah, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Ben was. Ben yeah, actually, was... I did have something to add. Yeah, no, no, I really enjoyed it. Likewise, what you said. It's really interesting to hear about how you know Durham students moved on. Uh, going to be. I've, yeah. I've, been, I've, been, I've been enjoying hearing all of them actually. Ben was at his Paxmanite best once again. <laughs> once again, cutting through um, with cutting through the noise. Exactly, trying to get down to the nitty gritty of, of, the, <laughs> of, the, of, the, of, the, of the answers to the questions. But no, um, so this hopefully isn't our last MP of the series. We are trying to get one more. We're gonna get one more. So hopefully we can bring that to you guys next week. 
But until then, or perhaps further on, we don't know. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely week. You can find us basically anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, if you type in Purple Radio, find us at The Current Affairs Podcast with Will and Ben. Um, and you can find us under the same name on Instagram. But if that's everything, I've been Will. This has been Ben. Thank you very much for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.